Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swing and a high deep drive in the right field. That one's called to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes a 1-2 pitch. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. High deep right. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Wow. I'm telling you, it's time to party. Got it. 300 strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. High fly ball, deep into left center field. Get out Way back it carries. And that ball is gone! The Red Sox walk it off in style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Fly ball to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out! The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game. 
coronavirus delay episode edition of the podcast. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the delay to baseball that coronavirus has caused. We're going to speculate a little bit on when a timeline might be for the season to start. We're going to discuss how it affects certain players on the Red Sox roster who maybe weren't going to be available at the beginning of the year, how it's going to affect Red Sox players and minor leaguers, and then we're going to answer your questions. Uh, it's very likely this will be a shorter show than usual, but that's because we have literally no sports to talk about. Um, but Keaton, how are you faring in your newfound isolation? <laughs> My isolation was not newfound. Uh, <laughs> quite an introvert so this has been business as usual for me so far (laughs) um but uh that aside uh, i went to the grocery store today to stock up on some stuff and it wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be so i guess that's a plus that's a good sign yeah had to get in before everything is declared closed by end of day tomorrow so i got seven pounds of shrimp i'm ready to go yeah, um, that's definitely the thing that everybody should get if uh, they're going to be in for for a long time. Is seven pounds of shrimp? That's basically a staple. Yeah, I mean it was buy one get one. So <laughs> I uh, I went on at it pretty hard. Corner <laughs> of the market on shrimp. Yeah, man, uh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, so obviously the coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, the novel coronavirus 2, or whatever you want to call it, uh, has been wreaking havoc on the entire world. Um, it is really one of the strangest things that I've ever encountered in my life. I think it's up there with 9-11 in terms of, you know, just sheer weirdness. It's definitely not as tragic uh, and scary, um, but, you know, it's still pretty bad. Um <laughs> A lot worse than I thought it was going to be, Keaton, and uh, maybe I shouldn't even compare it to anything, but it's just, it's tough, and it has pushed back baseball, and we really don't know when baseball is going to start back up, but before we got here and started talking to each other on on this program, um, you were talking a little bit about um, some potential timelines, so you want to kind of enlighten us with some of the new information that you have? Sure. Um it's like within the last hour or two, uh, the CDC put out a recommendation that uh, all events, gatherings slash events that would accrue 50 people or more uh, be postponed or canceled for the next eight weeks. So that means we're looking at June for baseball at the earliest at this time. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I guess it would be last week of May or early June would be the very, very earliest, right? Yeah. And that's, oh, I mean, we're assuming that the you know, players aren't really able to do much <clears throat> in terms of, like, conditioning and things like that. So, I mean, if we're looking at mid-May, we'd still need a couple weeks of guys getting back into the swing of things before we just started playing a season. Right. So, that's why I think we're looking at June at the earliest. Yeah, maybe even mid-June. Yeah, could be. Yeah, I mean, if they need like a month to ramp back up, then yeah, that's going to put us mid-June. Yeah, I've been reading kind of a lot about this too, and by no means am I any sort of an expert. Um, let's just preface that. I'm a you know teacher by trade. 
but the the thing that I've been reading is I'm actually a history teacher, so I've been reading a lot about the history of how viruses like this have been dealt with in the past, uh, specifically the Spanish flu, and then also how China dealt with it. And it seemed like China got control over it in roughly two months. Um, so they're doing much better. And then the Spanish flu, when it impacted Boston, took about two months as well for that to kind of return to more normalcy. So I think that two-month timeline makes a whole lot of sense. Do you know what precautions were taken? I mean, I guess this is quite a long time ago, so it's probably easier. In nineteen eighteen, yeah, yeah. So a lot of the uh, same things, recommendations about not having any public gatherings and and things like that. It wasn't as strictly followed uh, as we're hoping this will be. So I think there is some uh, hope that this can be dealt with maybe a little bit quicker if everybody does really well at following the specific guidelines of not going out and doing things. Um, because, you know, as of yesterday, I saw people out and about doing lots of things. Um, and that was before Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker just came up with his ruling that gatherings of 25 or more people would be banned. So I think it's just up to the public making making good decisions. Um, and the kind of the thing that happened with the Spanish flu when that hit was that originally people didn't take it very seriously. Um, and some of the quotes uh, from the newspaper article that I read on it in the Boston Globe today, which I think is worth checking out if you're into the history of these types of events, um, were shockingly familiar to the quotes that we saw early on with coronavirus. So. Uh, the sooner you take it seriously, the, the sooner it gets better. All right, so now that we have our coronavirus uh, news kind of out of the way, we need to talk about how this shutdown of baseball might be affecting some of the Red Sox players. And specifically, three names came to mind, three injured players for the Red Sox, and Alex Verdugo, who's dealing with the back injury, um, Chris Sale, who had been dealing with the continued elbow pain, and Colin McHugh, who had off-season elbow surgery too. So if the season does indeed start a couple months late, like we think it's going to, um, this could mean that Verdugo is the right fielder from the jump, uh, and that that is going to potentially you know, take away a, a bench spot um, in favor of you know, JBJ or Pilar. Probably Pilar will be on the bench if... Uh, if Verdugo is ready to go from from day one. So how do you think that would work out? Like, who would be the one to get pushed out of the lineup, do you think? Uh, Pilar, for sure. So it would be Pilar, but who gets pushed off the bench? Oh, out off the roster. Okay. Yeah, who gets pushed off the 26, man, if if that occurs? Um, I think it is a reliever. Oh, Because I, I think... Of, so when we did our roster predictions, uh, which I am filling time to find and pull up, uh, I think we both had a four-man bench. Yep. Uh, here we go. And I think they're still going to want to do that. So I had Lynn, Lucroy, Arouse, and Peraza. Oh, actually, never mind. So I guess, hold on. Let me recalibrate on that. I guess then that would assume... I would say that somebody isn't going to make the roster. That would be Lynn. No, that's not going to happen. Huh. 
Actually, this is a lot harder of a question than I thought. Yeah, I, I think um, while you're doing whatever you're doing, I'm going to <laughs> um, talk about the predicament here a little bit. Part of the attractiveness of Sue Lin is the fact that he can be a backup outfielder as well, but that becomes less relevant if you have a guy like uh, Kevin Pillar who's going to be pushed to the bench. Um, but the other thing is that Sue Lin is out of options. Uh, Jonathan Araz is a guy who comes to mind, but he's a Rule 5 pick, so he has to stay on the roster for, I believe, uh, the active roster for, I think it's 90 days, um, for him to not be returned to uh, Houston. But I actually think that the most likely scenario is that Jonathan Aroz gets pushed off the roster in return to Houston um, rather than them losing Su Wei Lin. Because I still envision a scenario later on in the year when the Red Sox would try and chop uh, either Pilar or Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, and try and trade him. One of those two, in which case you'd need Sue Lin again, and we have other players down on this roster like Marco Hernandez and CJ Chatham that can come up and be what Jonathan Aroz is. Um, so I just I think that that's going to be a loss they're going to have to take if if this uh, if Verdugo is healthy from the jump. Yeah, I think you're right. So I was uh, I was coming around to that. The other thing to consider is that Aroz hasn't actually seen. Um, really, any time above Double uh, A. I mean, he was he played twenty eight games at Double A, and that's as high as he got. And he just reached. It was just the very end of the season, the last month of the season in twenty nineteen. <clears throat> so I think if you're gonna, you're basically splitting hairs between Lynn and Arouse. I mean, Lynn has major league experience and has done well enough that it probably makes sense to return Arouse, who. Uh, is still pretty raw in his development. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think he it, he was kind of a luxury, like somebody that if the the roster worked out the way that it was supposed to, um, that you know it'd be great to keep him. Um, but if not, you know, it, it is what it is. Do you think that this means Johnson Brian Johnson it, will not get added to the forty man if um, sales going to be fine? I, you know, mid-June. I actually don't think that means that. Uh, I think that Brian Johnson is much more likely to still be at it based on his spring performance. Maybe he's still start starting off in the minor leagues, but I think that he's going to be added, or he's out of options. Well, no, they can still, I think they can still option him because he's not currently on the active roster. Right, he can still start in AAA. I think it's only when they call him up again that that would be the last time that he can stay up before he gets sent down. Right? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. Okay, so I'm not sure about that either. But I do think that they will try and keep Brian Johnson over some of the back end relievers that they decide not to move on with. So, like, let's just say they decide to cut Jeffrey Springs and Phillips Valdez and Chris Mazza or Matt Hall or, or something like that. Like any of those spots would be probably better utilized by Brian Johnson. Because um, surgery could be looming for Chris Sale, even if he starts um, whenever the season gets started, even if he is in the rotation by then. I thought 
baseball reference would have his options on it, but it does not list anything. So we're not sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think I would feel better about him than like Weber or another reliever or something like that. So I think I'd rather have him there. I mean, and just kind of get whatever you can get out of him in the five spot. <clears throat> but you're right. I mean, it has been interesting. Um, and, you know, what he was able to do in the spring. That, I mean, I know it's hard to take spring stats uh, at face value, but him not struggling does make you feel good. So there's that. <laughs> I mean, I would uh, feel less. I mean, if he did struggle throughout the spring, then I would feel probably completely opposite and just wouldn't want anything to do that and just give it to Weber. But I just don't know. I still feel like the fourth and fifth spots are going to be kind of a hodgepodge here for a bit whenever we do get going. Mm-hmm. But, um, and you're right, I think we both felt uh, the last time we did the podcast that whatever rest sale was going to get wasn't really going to, like, reset anything. And then he was probably going to end up needing surgery anyway. So I'm not sure how much of this extra time off changes my thought process. I think I would, I'll be more annoyed um, if it does come to fruition and it's mid-June instead of now. Because I yeah. think you and I both already felt like he should have just gone under the knife when they shut him down last August. And we're like six months removed from that. And we'll be almost like a year into what could have been his recovery if he has to have it in June instead of... Right. And... You know, I'm not advocating for, like, a guy to do something he doesn't believe in. Obviously, it's his body, so it's his choice. Um, I, I think when we say we're frustrated that, you know, it's going <clears> to <throat> potentially happen down the road rather than as soon as it could have possibly happened, we have to also put ourselves in his shoes and, like, respect the fact that Tommy John, even though it is a really successful surgery, isn't always successful. So if someone tells you you don't absolutely have to do it, you're probably not going to um, do it right away. And uh, Jen McCaffrey just recently had an athletic article where she had on a, a surgeon from the Boston area um, who does Tommy John surgeries often talk about what Chris Sale is dealing with. And essentially what he's dealing with now is a strained flexor mass, which is, um, you know, a muscle that's lower in the forearm uh, and uh, essentially he says that with damage to the UCL, it is more likely for strained flexor mass uh, injuries to occur. Um, it makes them more probable. Uh, but And that's why you will often see guys get a strained flexor mass before they get surgery. But he also said that it doesn't necessarily mean that when they took the MRI for the second time that there was any more damage to the ligament. It's a, The flexor mass thing is like a soft tissue injury. So he could just continually have to deal with like the potential of getting strained flexor masses while still not undergoing the surgery. And some guys will continue to do that, and others will just be like, well, screw it. If there's any damage at all, let's just rip the Band-Aid off and have the surgery. So Chris Sale kind of has to be the one to make that calculus. Yeah, that's true. And I think... In a shortened season, I mean, so <clears throat> I guess let's think about it in terms of just the. So you thought, uh, with Chris Sale being healthy, that the Red Sox could push for wild card spot. Do you think a shortened season makes those odds better or worse for a playoff? 
Well, if you're dealing with a healthy Verdugo, if you do get a healthy Sale, and you get a healthy Colin McHugh, then I think that it's possible. I still don't think it's probable, and I'm still not predicting it. But it's, your your chances are a lot better with that group together. And I think it's a fair question if Colin McHugh, who was also not going to be ready at the opening day, if opening day was, you know, March 26th, which it's not going to be anymore, Colin McHugh wasn't going to factor into the starting pitching rotation either. But now all of a sudden, the rotation could have neither Weber or Brian Johnson in it. It could be Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Sale, Nathan Eovaldi, Perez. Um, and then Colin McHugh from the jump, uh, which would make it a much more formidable rotation as well. Yeah, it would. I feel a lot better about that than the three. That's basically three starters and then a couple of shruggy guys at the yeah. back end. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that uh, maybe the closer we get to this and we actually see what team they'll have together. Maybe I'll change my tune. Or at least right now, I still don't feel great about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, it's really hard to know. And the other thing looming over this Red Sox season, too, is that we still have gotten no word on what the Red Sox punishment is going to be for their sign-stealing thing, which we've totally glossed over <clears throat> for the last few weeks. But it is absolutely ridiculous how we still don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, what do you think that says? I know that, like, all of the players are saying there's nothing there. Um, the front office kept asking people to reserve judgment until the report came out. And there was a bunch of reports from beat folks and MLB coverage reporters that it really wasn't much there. But the more it gets postponed, the more I don't think that's the case. I mean, if they didn't have anything... Why are they still looking? Or do you think that's why? They just botched the Astros so much that they just want to make sure that they have literally turned over every possible stone and so it keeps getting delayed? Or do you think they have something? I don't know. Um, I guess before all this coronavirus stuff, I thought <coughs> that they probably had more than people thought they did originally. So I agree. But now I think it might just be delayed be being delayed because MLB has bigger fish to fry and they don't care about it anymore right now. They're totally focused on dealing with the pandemic and when to start the season. So I'm not sure I, I can read anything more into the delay than everything's being delayed right now, you know? Well, what was your feeling before the season got postponed? It was it was that they had more than, than people were letting on that they had. But I'm not sure that that is 100% true. I still don't think it's going to be a big deal. Like, I still don't think that the Red Sox are going to be dealing with Astros-like penalties. See, I thought, I mean, when this like when the story originally came out and there was, like, Drellick and Rosenthal said they had, like, three people, witnesses, or whatever, just three members of the team go on record. <clears throat> I thought they actually could have Astros-like penalties. 
because of them being a repeat offender with the smartwatches or whatever it was from like a season prior. But I think you're right. I don't think that, I mean, maybe it is more than what they got for the smartwatches, which was, I think just a bunch of cash and a couple draft picks. But if it's like a little bit more cash and a couple draft picks, I don't know how much that really kind of affects them. So I think it's kind of annoying that we have to just kind of sit on, sit and wait. And it had been postponed, like the release had been postponed like three or four times already. And now we just kind of have to wait longer. But I think it's going to be one of those things where it's just going to eventually it'll pop up and we'll deal with it when we get there. 2020 can go screw, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it can. Yeah, this is the worst. It's not going to end uh, either. Yeah, it's not great. Um, the other bit of news here is that uh, the Red Sox players and minor leaguers, uh, it's its a little unclear where all the Red Sox players are going to go. Um, minor leaguers, though, um, this is per Alex Spear. By Friday night, the Red Sox had encouraged their minor leaguers to go home barring extenuating circumstances, and he notes rehabbers, players from countries in crisis, or with difficult home circumstances, uh, being able to stay or, you know, do something else. But most minor leaguers are being told to go home. Most minor leaguers not collecting a check right now. Uh, that absolutely sucks for minor league players. And just another black mark on the way that, that Major League Baseball handles their minor league system, um, it's just crazy what these guys have to deal with in order to to make it. And, you know, if, if you don't come from means and you're a minor leaguer, it's you're living a pretty fringe lifestyle. It's very unfair to these guys, especially dealing with this on top of everything else that they normally deal with. Yeah, this is... I don't really know what to make of this. this there's just kind of a lot going on um and i think that i mean there were already reports about uh players getting stuck in uh, really kind of wherever they were like there are some countries um i think panama was one or venezuela shut down their borders and turned away players who are looking to just return home and they got sent back to um uh, Florida and wherever it was that their complex was and they're just kind of held down there with nothing like nowhere to go so I guess like I mean I'm not exactly sure how the like host family thing works with minor leaguers but I imagine like I would think teams take care of housing for spring training right and really the hosts are just wherever the like the minor league city is in so are they trying to like find host families for these guys that are stuck or is it up to the players and then when you have the the piece about them basically not getting paid or they don't know if they're going to get paid yet because MLB hasn't decided if they're going to be able to well they say be able but I mean they're absolutely able to um, pay like stadium workers and hourly contributors to spring training and regular season folks, as well as the minor leaguers, which, I mean, in my opinion, I would say pay them both. I mean, it's the exact same yeah. thing that the NHL and NBA 
are doing. They're making sure that their folks who are affected are going to get paid. I think MLB needs to absolutely do the right thing, and that is like triply true for minor leaguers who don't have a place to live right now. <laughs> that's that's not great. It's not a great look. No, it's not. Um, and I mean, they need to do the right thing, figure this out, and it needs to be at no cost to the players. They should absolutely be putting these guys up or. You know, whatever. It shouldn't be on host families. It should be on these billion-dollar corporations to take care of their guys and make sure that they're okay. Um, yeah. It's despicable um, that they even have to think about this. Um, the other side of this is what the Red Sox actual players who are expected to make the team are, are going to do. It is unclear how many of those guys are going to stick around and how many of them are going to leave. They have the option to leave. I know that other teams uh, have decided to stay. The Yankees are one team who, because of their World Series aspirations, um, they are deciding to stay at the facility and continue to work out the entire time um, that this stoppage is going on. And it's hard for me to not think that's the right thing to do if you're a team that really feels like it has a shot here in in 2020 and i i honestly think that it's the right thing for all these teams to do from a just performance standpoint but there's also a lot of other considerations um you know people's families and their well-being and all sorts of stuff like that so um the best baseball decision isn't always the best human decision no but that just kind of Sheds a light on a lot of other things that we actually spent a lot of time talking about last year. And it kind of seemed like things were going to start tipping. I know that there were very minor increases in major league pay announced, or uh, minor increases in minor league pay announced by MLB across the board, which is a step in the right direction, but we still think a lot can be done to help these minor leaguers. And kind of like now more than ever, they really need our help. Yeah. Totally. Ugh, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird figuring out what happens with all this. Um, yep, sure is. <coughs> before we get to the listener questions, um, we are going to do something we don't usually do here. We're actually going to be pasting in a segment um, from a different podcast that Keaton, myself, and uh, one of our other over the monster writers, Shelley Verstraight. Uh, do We do a Dynasty baseball podcast as well called Dynasty's Child at thedynastyguru.com. Um, but we did our big league previews today. Uh, we previewed the entire league. And since we are all three writers at Over the Monster, we thought that we would just share that segment as well uh, with all of the listeners of Over the Monster so you can kind of see how we think the league is going to shake out when it does get started this year. And uh, it's quite a long segment, so it's going to add a lot to the show. Um, So I just wanted to let you know about that. If you want to skip over it, um, you know, you can do that as well and just get to the listener questions here. So it will be right now. Alrighty, let's let's have some fun. Let's talk about our predictions. Um, I will start off with division winners in the AL. I went with... The New York Yankees, Minnesota Twins, and the Houston Astros. I'm still kind of confused on how to like think about Houston 
for this year, and I think like this delay just kind of made me more confused. But I would not be shocked if Oakland ended up winning that division. And um, as a spoiler to my wild cards, Oakland is one of them. Um, but not <laughs> just because. I mean, Houston still has a whole bunch of talent, um, but they have also a whole bunch of injuries to their pitching staff right now, and that's not great. Uh, but I really like what Oakland is doing, and at some point they'll have both Puck and Lazardo in their starting rotation to go along with the others, and that's that's pretty nice. They're, Oakland's pitching rotation by the end of the year might be like a top three rotation in all of baseball. Yeah, um, I I definitely agree about that, um, and we'll talk about that when we get to my AL. Uh, division winners, but when it comes to Houston, it is definitely the starting rotation, which scares me, because Verlander is hurt. Um, he had that uh, latch strain, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of takes a while to kind of uh, heal, which he might have some time, but it basically you can't, it, uh, the best thing for that is just not throw, and just let it chill out. And then, you know, Granky's number two. That's perfectly fine. But then you got the big question marks of Quiddy, uh, McCullers Jr., and Josh James. And those are three big question marks that we have not really seen um, for Houston in a couple years now. So that's where I'm scared off. And also, Forrest Whit- Whitley is a massive question mark in and yeah. of himself. So if any of those three doesn't work out, like there's no guarantee that Forrest Whitley can come up and actually be effective. So then I guess just continuing with the with the West, Shelley, uh, who was your pick? Um, well, my pick was the um, Ace. Um, I, I just really... Uh, like I said before, I was kind of scared off with kind of Houston's pitching staff and then everything else that they're going to have to deal with, um, just from like a psychological uh, standpoint. Um, but I, I really, really, really like um, Oakland. Um, their rotation um, is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, they got uh, Manaya and Montas. And Lozardo, then Mike Fires, Chris Bassett, and then AJ Puck. Um, he had a shoulder thing, but hopefully he can either make it into rotation or in the bullpen. Uh, the bullpen is legit, and that lineup is pretty good. I mean, you got Simeon, Liriano, Chapman, Olson, then Kanha and Davis. That's a pretty good one through six. So, and I just. Uh, I don't know. I've always kind of liked the A's, just kind of just how they try to make things work. So I just kind of, I really hope that they can pull it out this year. Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm pretty much on their bandwagon. They're going to be a really fun team to watch. Jake, who was your pick for the West? Um, I also had the Oakland A's uh, over over Smart. Houston. Um, I have the same question marks um, about Houston's rotation as you guys do. I prefer Oakland's rotation to theirs, uh, and I also prefer Oakland's rotation depth um, to theirs. <clears throat> and the lineups, I think Houston probably has more upside in their lineup, but I think that Oakland 
um, has fewer question marks for me simply because I don't really understand how much knowing the pitches helped them. I think it helped them significantly, um, especially when you look at K rates for guys like George Springer, the years that they were doing it and years that they weren't, things like that. So also, I don't think we can undersell the, the mental aspect of having everybody in the game hate you and fans boo you constantly. Um, and just some of the years that happened last year struck me as really weird. Like Yuli Gurriel's year, I would not be surprised if that was completely a product of the cheating that went on. So I don't really have a lot of faith in them sustaining, I don't know, good performance throughout this whole thing. And the A's are just coming, man. Like like, like Shelly said, I'm huge on Laureano and Chapman and Olsen anchor that lineup. I love Simeon. Um, Kana is underrated. Chris Davis He'll probably hit 247 this year, so that'll be cool. Um, and then they've got some interesting young players. And I'm interested to see Sean Murphy, too. So, I don't know. I think Oakland is very complete. And uh, how much did Franklin Barreto's breakout swing sway you? Breakout spring sway you? Um, none. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Mr. Barreto is a, is a thing, though. Um, and we also didn't even mention Stephen Piscotti as well, um, who should get some time when he's healthy too. Stephen Piscotti is a damn good player when he's going right. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And the last couple of seasons that he's been like plagued with injuries has been like really frustrating for me because I've I liked him when he was with the Cardinals. Like he was just one of those like glue guys, one of those really good players that you just love to watch. So I just really hope he can stay healthy because just add that to the lineup. Yes, please. That's that's going to be nice. Yeah. And there'll be only good vibes. None, none of this uh, this Houston vibe. Yeah. Uh, so let's just keep going left to right. Um, so we'll move to the central. <clears throat> uh, how much, uh, Jake, how much thoughts or convincing – of yourself did you have to do to pick Minnesota or was this pretty much like the lock of locks here? This was the easiest division for me to pick um, in the American League just simply because I love the lineup top to bottom for um, this team. I mean, right now they have, on fan graphs, they have Miguel Sano projected to hit in the eighth spot. Which is laughable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably incorrect. But still, you're talking about Kepler, Polanco, Cruz, Donaldson, Rosario, Garver, Arise, uh, Arez, or Luis. How do you say it? Arise or Arez? I think it's Arise. Arise. And then Sano, and then Jake Cave. Um, and I think the rotation is a little bit underrated, too, because... You've got a three-headed monster of Berrios, Odorizzi, and Maeda that I really like. Homer Bailey pitched better last year. Um, and then they've got Dobnak, who's going to be on his way back as well. And I love their bullpen. Rogers, Romo, May, Duffy. Um, really interesting options there. And Byron Buxton and Rich Hill are on the mend as well. So they should be a factor later. Michael Pineda will be a factor later. Um, there's just so much here. And then they have the, a farm system that's basically ready. Um, 
Kirilov, if he plays well, could get a call up later in the season. Um, probably not Larnock, but they've got some interesting arms that could potentially be there down the road. And maybe even Royce Lewis is like a pinch runner later. Um, there's a lot to like on this team. Yeah. I really like what the White Sox are doing, but they're just not there yet. Um, although they should also be just a really fun team to watch this year. Uh, and I do not like the direction that the Indians are going. I just don't see... I like their pitching, but I don't know what the hell they're doing with that lineup. And it, it's not great, particularly in the outfield. And I just don't think... Like, Cleveland's pitcher pitching might be able to keep them in it for, like, a month or so. But, I mean, they're going to need to score more than, like, two runs a game. And I just, that offense just doesn't seem like an offense that's going to get it done. So... Not 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 a real fan of what the Indians got going on, and this was the easiest one for me too. Just uh, for just how loaded and deep Minnesota is, and there's just no one who can really stick with them in the division. Like that's not going to be much of a race for very long. For the longest time, Minnesota has been my second favorite American League team too. So I just really like them as well. Yeah, I I, I do too. Um. um... This was definitely the easiest uh, division for me to pick, probably overall, to be honest, um, because, like y'all said, the, the lineup is absolutely legit. Uh, Maeda is, uh, he is like one of my uh, favorite pitchers, actually, to watch. I used to actually not be a big fan, but everyone kept talking about him. So I was like, well, what's the, what's the dealio? So I did a going deep piece and, um, for a picture list. And ever since then, I've been in love. Uh, cause my Ada is just, just a dude. Um, and then when it comes to the rest of the division, it's like the Indians were like the last couple years, they've been doing the same thing, basically just trying to piece things together and it's kind of worked. So they're trying to do it again. Um, but I think it's actually, um, worse than I've ever really seen it. And I mean, I, I like the White Sox, but uh, like Keaton said, I just don't think they're quite there yet. But um, yeah, so Minnesota's going to win this easily. Yeah, Can we that... talk about um, the competition for second here? Because I think that that might be the most interesting in, thing in the division this year because I agree with you both that Keaton says – you know, the White Sox are on the rise and we're clearly seeing that, but also the Indians, I mean, like, what are you doing with that outfield? Why are you wasting the time that you have with Lindor and J-Ram and, you know, the pitchers that you have with such a mediocre lineup? Did, do the White Sox have a legitimate chance of finishing second in that division? Yeah, I think they do. And that was, uh, that was my prediction. I don't know if it was actually on a podcast, but I think it just might have been Jake, you and I just, we were talking when the Pakoda projections came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I had, I've pegged the White Sox to finish second in that division. Um, and I'm just kind of really buying into what they're doing. They're just going to be so much fun to watch. Like it's hard to um, just kind of root against the, the hype because I want it to, to work out with all their young players and um, want to see Moncada do what he did again for another season just because it's, when with that team is clicking, they might be the like the most fun team in all of the majors to watch. 
just because of the personalities and the skill sets that they have on that team is just going to be wildly explosive. So I'm definitely buying into that. And then it just seems like the Indians are kind of wasting what is almost surely uh, Francisco Lindor's last season with the team. And yeah. if that's the case, then, I mean, the, the lineup's going like, to complete hell. And I don't really know what they're doing. That just I think that's also going to overshadow whatever the team is doing, because if they're struggling, then, I mean, the only reason, like, the, the fans really will have is to be basically just cherishing the last days of Lindor, and it just seems like there's a much larger arrow pointing down for the Indians that I just, uh, I'm buying into the White Sox. I think the White Sox will finish second. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it had been a little bit since I've actually looked at the Cleveland lined up, and um, outside of Lindor, and... did you puke? <laughs> yeah, I, I muted myself before, so we're all good. appreciate that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, other than like Lindor, Jose Ramirez, Ramil Reyes, I mean, I'm hoping Carlos Santana can do what he did, or get close to what he did last year, and. Oscar Mercado is okay, but everyone else, that's just horrible. And they don't even have, like, any decent bench players. I mean, Christian Arroyo is slated to be on their bench, which is laughable. So, yeah, um, I I would not be shocked if the White Sox um, finish second. They're... The Indians bench is the most quad A collection of players <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you got Sandy Leon, Arroyo, DeShields, and Luplo. Yeah. Well, Tyler Naquin almost won Rookie of the Year that one season. And then hasn't done anything since. Yeah. He's got knee surgery, though. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's not great. Um, Yeah, I agree with you guys. Looking at that Cleveland lineup, I do see a way. I will say, I can't, I have to be objective here. As repulsive as I find looking at this lineup, um, I do see a way in which everything clicks for them, and they are, like, they have potential to win the division just solely on the the back of their pitching. I think it's a long shot, but, like, we've seen Cesar Hernandez have really good seasons. Domingo Santana has had a really good season before, even though he's a butcher in the field. Roberto Perez, like, has power as a catcher. Greg Allen, no, I don't see that. But, like, the rest of the spots, you could conceivably see if Carlos does what he did last year, if Mercado has a breakout year, if Lindor's really good and J-Ram's really good. Like, there's a way this team scores enough to make it interesting in the division, but I just feel like they have the highest risk factor, even higher risk factor than the Chicago White Sox does. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to describe it. Also, before we move out of this division, I want to point out that Nelly Cruz, at the age of basically 38, turning 39 last year, had the best offensive season of his career in just 120 games. He hit 41 bombs with 108 RBIs while batting 311, 392, 639 with a 163 WRC+. Do you think... That is because his profile was tailor-made for the ball. I don't know. I just, I'm taking him for the unicorn that he is and enjoying the fact that Fair. from 2014 on, we've seen, like, 
one of the best offensive players in baseball, and it's so weird. It is. Yeah. Because how old was he in 2014? I mean, he's 39, so he was, that was his age. 38, 37, 36, 35, 34, 33. So starting at age 33, he became like a Hall of Fame level player. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. But that makes him a wild buy in uh, your win now competitive cycles oh god yes who would you take can i ask you this we're not the people to ask this but before we move on um peak nelly or peak david ortiz ortiz are you serious yeah it's definitely yeah, we're the, ortiz. <laughs> we're the wrong people to ask this question definitely <laughs> yeah i agree it's always gonna it's always gonna be ortiz has, has, has cruz hit 54 Cruz has not hit 54. Yeah. 2005, 2006 Ortiz were two of the most magical things. Plus the clutch factor. I mean, that's pretty significant too. Yeah. All right. You're right. That was, we are definitely not the people to objectively look at that question. (laughs) Not even a little. All right. On to the East. So, uh, I had the Yankees, um, I just feel like it's kind of a runaway train. Well, I, I mean, I guess maybe I felt like that a month ago. Um, more question marks now with how many injuries like their entire team has. But at the same time, they were the team that had the most players on the um, disabled list last year or injured list, whatever we're calling it now, injured list. Uh, and they still won 100 games. So I feel like they're pretty solidly built to overcome whatever injuries they have. And plus um, it's the same people that were hurt last year that are hurt again this year. Uh, and so they basically won a hundred games and then added Garrett Cole. So I just, I still feel maybe it's not as reckless of a runaway train, but still kind of feels like it. There's just, at least over the course of the, the entire season, I just, I'm, I'm not sure anyone's going to have the legs. Yeah, that's why I picked them too, Keaton. Um, I'm worried. I'm really worried about their rotation, like you said. Uh, aside from Garrett Cole, I don't trust Masahiro Tanaka at all, or J.A. Happ, or Jordan Montgomery. I sort of trust Jonathan Loiza, um because he has looked really good. Um, their bullpen, as good as it is, is getting really old. I mean, here are the ages of their top four bullpen options. 32, 32, 34, 30. Um, I'm a little concerned about that. I'm concerned about the fact that Judge and Stanton are perpetually hurt and Aaron Hicks isn't going to be around for most of the year. I'm very concerned that Seve is done and James Paxton actually had back surgery and is expected to, like one of the glassiest glass pitchers, is expected to come back healthy from back surgery. Um, and they have no Domingo Herman either. There's a lot of things here, but the Yankees just have such crazy depth that I think for the regular season, they will hang on and win the division. That being said, this is a preview. I do not like them in the postseason. I don't think either of us or any of us did. But we'll get there. Shelly, you went a bit of a different route, though. Yeah. Um, 
And the reasons that y'all kind of were a little bit concerned about the Yankees is the reasons why I went with Tampa. Um, the Yankees, uh, they just, well, one, I, I don't like them and I did not want to pick them at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but outside of Garrett Cole, uh, that, that starting rotation just is just like Jake said, it's just full of question marks. Um, I like some, I like a lot of their hitters, but uh, no, I just, I just couldn't do it. So, um, I would, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just like what the Rays have done the past couple of seasons. Um, Charlie Morton is a, he's, he's really good. And if he can stay healthy, which he has the last couple of seasons, um, he is a legit, you know, back in number one type number two. Um, then glass now, well, that's a question mark. Um, but Chirinos, Yarbrough and Richards, um, that's not too bad. And then with their bullpen, they can kind of fill in for the back end of their rotation. And then their lineup um, is going to be like a complete uh, coin flip dice roll other than Austin Meadows and Willie Adamas. But I kind of like it, you know, like keep they keep players fresh and they can, you know, maximize their, you know, splits like their platoon advantages and all that stuff so i think that they can just kind of you know throw it all together and make it work yeah we didn't even mention blake snell who should be back as well yep and and honeywell yeah i'm still driving that train the depth on this team is what makes it just so attractive for me Um, i like all their options as it is and then you look at the bench and you're like okay just like the the Indians bench is all quad A guys. Like these guys are legitimate major leaguers just hanging out on their bench. Who can play multiple positions. Yep. Here's something to, to ponder is just kind of a a general question for you guys. But so I think there people thought that there might have been an outside chance that Wander Franco by the end of the season might have been playing in Tampa this year if he just continues to shred. Do you think the adjusted season affects that at all? And not, not just specifically for Franco, but for like young guys potentially on the cusp in general. Like if this ends up being more than two weeks and it's not just the, you know, you continue to play everything, but just push like the season two weeks into November. Do you think teams are going to handle their youngsters any different with this adjusted schedule? Um, I, I I think so. I mean, it really, honestly, it just kind of depends on when the season actually starts. Um, but I, I I didn't think that Tampa was really going to bring up Franco this year. Um, the only reason that they would, would be a lot of the players currently ahead of him and already on the roster, like really crap the bed. And then he just, you know, that's the only guy who can play. But I have faith that most of these puzzle pieces will fit enough to block him for another year. Yeah, I agree with Shelley. And the other factor here is that the players' union has to negotiate um, a new uh, sort of number of days uh, for service time issues. Um, And that is currently happening. I think right now, like the players unions meeting with major league baseball 
discuss like in a shortened season, okay, how many days does it count for uh, options to, to run out and stuff like that. Um, so it's the math on players and service time is going to be different this year, and we don't know what that math is yet. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think Franco is an interesting case because of how much depth Tampa has probably would make. It's not like a um, like a Soto thing where like even if he's crushing every single level, there's like a clear path for Franco, like there was for Soto. So I think that kind of makes sense. Uh, on to the wild card. Um, so we've talked about both the teams that I picked already. I just didn't have them winning the division like the others did. Uh, I had Tampa Bay and Oakland, and it seems to me, like for the wild card, like generally we kind of peg like 90 wins as a, it's like a threshold for the playoffs, um, give or take if there's a division that kind of like slightly lags one way or the other. But I could see both Oakland and Tampa like easily winning 95 games and finishing second in their divisions. Um, just the the top of the like top tier teams in the AL, I think, are just really really good, and it just that just wouldn't surprise me if the threshold for the wild card in the AL is like ninety five instead of ninety. Totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I had uh, the Yankees and the Astros making the AL wild card. I have Tampa Bay and Houston. So we all have the same teams, right? We do. Just yeah. different orders. Different orders, yeah. Yeah. I don't uh I don't know how much I guess I don't know. Do how do you feel about the Angels? Do you think they might be able to challenge? I don't know if they're there yet. I don't think I don't think so. It's like always, it's always the pitching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the lack thereof. <laughs> Artie Moreno, what an idiot. Oh like, my gosh, yes. Not getting Stripling in Jock Peterson because he was annoyed that the Mookie trade took too long. Like, okay, guy, good job. But now your team doesn't have Griffin Canning for potentially a long time. And now your rotation is... Haney, Tehran, Bundy, Sandoval, and Matt Andreese. Okay. Good luck with that. Yeah. I don't know why Mike Trout remains so loyal to this team, but he's just the perfect little human. So <laughs> that's just his, his fate in life, I guess. Uh, at least he got some help in Anthony Rendon, so he won't be so lonely this year. Agreed. All right, it let's does go. suck to see him waste his potential, though. Yeah, that yeah. is not fun. He's only been in the playoffs once so far, right? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. That's got to change. <coughs> yep. All right, uh, let's go left to right for the NL2. So I'll start with the NL West. I have the Dodgers. This was the easiest one for me in the NL. Um, I don't know if you guys felt any differently. or. <laughs> this was the easiest one for me in all of baseball. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Yep. Yeah. I will give a shout out to the Diamondbacks because I like what they've done. They have a good team, but they are kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, it kind of stinks to be in that division. Sure does. I mean, 
can we just for for people listening at home this is the lineup for the dodgers Betts, muncie turner ballinger peterson seager will smith gavin Lux, with a bench of legitimate dudes like aj pollock is getting paid like 20 million bucks a year to sit on the bench this team is not your average baseball team this is like a 115 win team and they still have a bunch of depth in the rotation yeah and a good farm yeah yeah they're built it is unbelievable so let's flip over to the central then uh i went with the the upstart milwaukee brewers because uh, I had forgotten about what Cincinnati has done in this offseason. And um, that one might be wrong. <laughs> but I wrote it down, so I'm sticking with it. Uh, I do like what the Brewers do. I mean, they made some nice moves this offseason, too. Um, I think they'll be an interesting team to follow, especially if like Woodruff has his breakout. Um, and that can definitely propel them to being pretty competitive. But it actually should be pretty darn division to watch between Cincinnati and Milwaukee, and it'll be kind of weird to look at this division without um, the Cubs or Cardinals really making a splash. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. So I kind of think that we should spend a lot of time on this division, um, only because across all the publications I read, and I pretty much obsessively read about baseball. But like every single person that I've seen rank this division has ranked it differently. <laughs> um, this is the one true wild card division where no one knows what the hell's going on. And some people are like, oh, it's going to be Milwaukee. And I don't know if any of you guys read the most recent Ken Rosenthal piece on The Athletic about the Milwaukee Brewers, but it was really good. And essentially what it was is like Craig Council great manager plug plugs everybody into a position that makes them succeed and basically uh, other NL West or NL Central um, executives just say this team just wins games and they're not really sure how they do it every year but they just do it um, so I like the pick Keaton just simply because this lineup is clearly greater than the sum of its parts and guys trust that when they come to Milwaukee they're going to get playing time no matter what. And that's why you see guys like Brock Holt sign there and, you know, Ryan Braun's willing to shift to the bench and they just get all these sort of under the radar signings um, and have so many interesting players, despite having a terrible farm system. It's, it's really kind of one of the more interesting teams. 
I mean, anytime that you can sign an all-star in an underrated or a underrated fashion, I mean, you got to jump on it. So hats off to the Brewers for reeling in Brock Holt. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, Keaton. I actually i i was i i liked what the Reds did, but I seriously considered the Brewers because while their lineup is not like overly scary like when you look at it but like when you like really look at it like it's it's a pretty legit team a pretty legit lineup and that bench is it's not bad and then you got the um starting rotation with Woodruff and Hauser that, that's pretty good um Josh Lindblom who knows uh Brett Anderson and Eric Lauer kind of watch out there but if you saw have you have y'all been checking out like what Corbin Burns has been doing this spring like it's been really good i wish i had his numbers off the top of my head but it's like i don't think he's given up any runs and he's going like for multiple innings before everything got shut down um so maybe burns can come back i don't know and if not he could probably be like a long man and be pretty pretty nasty and then freddie peralta with his new slider or comeback slider um yeah, uh, I, I I really like this team. They're, they're going to be a really fun team to watch. They he also is. traded for Luis Urias, who should at some point take over for Orlando Arcia. So that's oh, an yeah, yeah. interesting piece. Yeah. Um, and then Corey Nebels on his way back, which makes an already very dangerous bullpen that you guys have been talking about even better. Um, but despite all that, I did pick Cincinnati uh, for this division just because I believe in one more good Votto season, Eugenio Suarez, Mike Moustakis, and Nick Castellanos as a 3-4-5 is just filthy. And then that starting rotation of Gray, Castillo, Bauer, Discofani, and Wade Miley is the best in that division, and I don't think it's particularly close. Yeah, it, it's definitely not. And um, I, I went with the Reds, too. Um, I, I just, I love that starting rotation. And I don't know if y'all caught this uh, podcast, the R2C2 podcast with Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer. Um, no. It's really good. And um, it's um, R2C2. It's uh, with CC Sabathia and one of the Yankees broadcasters. It's a really good podcast. Um, and they were just like talking back and forth, um, kind of like the, the state of pitching and what they're doing, like with the Reds and what. Sonny was dealing with with the Yankees. It's a really good lesson. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this rotation is really, really good. And just the addition of Moustakis and Castellanos is just, it's it's going to be bombs away, essentially, in this park. Yeah. yeah. I got Burns numbers. So, through 10 innings this spring, you give it up one earned run. Uh, and only three walks, 13 strikeouts, six hits in 10 innings. So that's a ERA and a whip of 0.9. I don't that's like. pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that will. <laughs> Can I put you guys on the spot real quick here? Yes. Keaton, could you make the case for the Chicago Cubs for how they can win the division? <clears throat> And Shelly, can you make the case for St. Louis on their path to winning this division? Yeah, I can. 
the lineup of the Chicago Cubs is still really good. Wilson Contreras, uh, one of the better hitting catchers in the majors. You got Anthony Rizzo. He's got power. Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Kyle Schwarber. I mean, that's that is one of the better middle of the orders in all of baseball. Uh, Nico Horner should probably get <clears throat> the starting job at second, although it feels like it'll be Kipnis to start the season. Uh, what a travesty. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think Kipnis don't think has anything left. But uh, I'm also buying into Ian Happ as this year being his breakout and, and playing center. Um, so far in the spring, uh, he's reeled his strikeouts in significantly and is drawing a buttload of walks. Uh, and I think... Given the at-bats, I mean, he could be a guy that goes, like, 2015. Uh, they got Hayward in right field. This is just kind of uh, the dude. Maybe he's got good defense. I don't know how much he's giving you with the bat there. But it is still an incredibly deep lineup. And then um, David Bodie is a solid bench bat to fill in, get some time. Um, Kipnis hopefully eventually will be on the bench, able to contribute. Albert Almora... And Hap, I guess, to at least begin the season, probably going to be splitting time. But I don't think Hap will take over. And then Almora is their fourth outfielder, which is really pretty solid. To me, I think it all comes down to their pitching. Um, Darvish had a really good year last year, but has a track record of being kind of inconsistent. Um, Kyle Hendricks uh, struggled last year for the first time really in a while. Um, Quintana has been struggled for a while. Lester had a really bad season last year, and he's kind of been fading. And their fifth starter is Chatwood. So I think for the Cubs, it's all going to come down to their rotation and if they could just be consistent. And I'm just, I'm not sure compared to what Milwaukee has going for them and what Cincinnati has going for them, I just don't think it's going to be enough. But the lineup is still one of the better lineups and has some of the best depth there, particularly in the NL. So that's the Cubs' path to making the playoffs here and winning the division is definitely through their batting order. I find... um Kyle Hendricks to be one of the more interesting stories of the spring because he changed his pitching program in the off season. And he added like two or three miles an hour to all of his pitches, which he was notoriously the slowest, you know, one of the slowest regulars uh, in terms of velo in the league. Yeah. Um, but he's been absolutely unhittable uh, in the spring so far. Um, if he could add like another strikeout per nine with his pinpoint control, and Darvish does what he's supposed to, and Quintana and Lester are just, like, slightly above average. I mean, that team could be really good with that lineup you mentioned. Yeah, they definitely can. I've I've liked Hendricks for a while, particularly, um, I mean, I guess I've noticed what he's done more because I own him in a 20-team league that uses uh, K-to-walk ratio is one of the mm. stats. <clears throat> and so he kills it because he doesn't walk anybody. <coughs> He doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, but it really doesn't matter if, you know, every single game you've got four or five strikeouts and zero walks, then he kills it. His ratios have always been good. So, I, you're right. I mean, he is one of the more interesting guys to keep an eye on because with his control, if now he's able to actually, like, get some more deception and miss more bats, then, I mean, I would put him in probably, like, the top 20. Yeah, I mean, he's got that type of upside. Yeah. His his ERA is always three and a half or below. Yep. Yeah, he's solid. All right, Shelly. Case for the St. Louis. Oh, Carl. You can't be the 
more difficult one. <laughs> yeah, that was an easy one for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Crendles. Um, Colton Wong does what he did last year, and now he's leading off. Um, so he just keeps producing. Matt Carpenter um, uh, is on the bench, but um, Harrison... Uh, no, Tommy Edmond is going to be playing third. Um, and then uh, Young is going to be killing it. Um, and then Dylan Carlson is going to uh, break camp and just just be a total just dude out there. And they'll just, you know, make it work somehow. Um, and then in the rotation, Flaherty is second at Flaherty. Carlos Martinez is able to uh, stay in the rotation and not walk everybody. Uh, Dakota Hudson um, is not a fluke, and that's about it. This is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> the path here is more difficult, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I just, I really, I, I really don't know because I just don't trust Carlos Martinez, and if that's yeah. your number two, that's pretty scary. What about Paul Goldschmidt? He had a very different second half than he had a first half in a positive way. He was basically vintage Goldie in the second half. Um, If Goldie's good, I mean, their path is more visible, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just like, I don't know, it seems like the past couple seasons, Goldie has started off slow and then heated up. But it seemed like last year it took him a little bit longer to heat up, so... I, That's I, fair. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that he can still do it, but yeah, yeah. You know his um his first half WRC plus was one hundred and five. His second half was one twenty eight. So even if he sustained one twenty eight throughout the entire season, I mean that's not exactly what we've come to know and expect from Goldie. It's yeah. good, but it's not it's not what you want. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of their success is going to ride on the breakouts of Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill in the outfield. So I think if Bader actually breaks out, um, <clears throat> he's an interesting skill set where he could actually be kind of like a power speed guy. But his issue is the, you know, making contact part, which is tough. And that's kind of the same thing with O'Neill. Like if O'Neill can consistently make contact with the ball probably looking at like 30 35 homers but he just doesn't and they kind of both have the same issue that if corrected uh they could have incredible years and kind of help carry that lineup but i i don't have a ton of faith in that happening but they're gonna get a chance because they don't really have anybody else so they're gonna be out there every day so yeah we'll see if it works yeah I don't trust. The, I would. I guess I would probably have that team fourth in the division. All right. Well, <clears throat> there's only one team left that we haven't talked about. So, Jake, can you make the case for the Pittsburgh Pirates winning the division? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Fair. All right. Let's move on to the East. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is significantly more entertaining. Um, This might be the most fun division that we're going to get to watch all year because there are some teams here. I eventually uh, settled on Atlanta 
as my division winner. <clears throat> and it was basically because I just think all of their young core are just going to take continue to take steps forward. So um, their pitching staff was led by Soroka and Freed. It's going to be really great. I mean, Acuna is going to be probably pretty close to MVP conversation. Um, Albies is real solid. Jake, before we start recording, you were talking about um, a lot of people buying into Swanson, having his breakout with some of the things he's got going on. So I just, uh, I don't feel super great because I think this division just has a ton of talent. Um, but I just think ultimately at the end, Atlanta's will uh, kind of pull through here. But it wouldn't shock me if I was wrong on that. But Shelly, who was your pick? Um... Yeah, I, I went with the with the with the Nationals. Uh, this might be just because I just like a lot of players on that team. I don't know, um, but it's just I I like what the Nationals did this offseason, which is usually what I say every offseason because they <laughs> they just they just always can put together a really good team plus a legit awesome bench to where. You can they, they can mix and match if someone gets hurt. There is someone there who can legit play. Um, so they have Robles leading off with Eaton and Turner hitting third, which is kind of interesting. And then Juan Soto is – I don't even need to talk about Juan Soto because he's just so great. And, but then they pick up uh, Starling Castro um, and Eric Thames, and they still have Howie Kendrick, which – he has been going off for about two years now. Um, so, yeah. And then, of course, they got Carter Keeboom, and everyone knows how much I like him. So, uh, the lineup is actually is actually pretty good. And as long as the rotation can stay healthy, which is their biggest uh, question mark. Um, well, maybe the bullpen. Just pitching in general is a question mark. Um, I don't know. I just... I just I I'm a little bit unsure about Trey Turner hitting third. Yeah. I like it. How come? But I also uh, love Trey Turner quite a lot. But I think it... I think it'll, it'll be weird or interesting to see how much he runs from hitting third. Because if those guys are already on ahead of him, then that actually kind of hampers, for fantasy purposes, hampers one of his better traits. See, I would have this lineup Eaton leading off, Turner second, Soto third, and then either Castro or Thames or Kendrick, depending on the day and the pitcher, hitting in the cleanup spot. And then I would have Robles somewhere closer to the bottom of the lineup. Just personally. Yeah. Yeah. I I I it really this particular lineup really depends on Robles. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whether he can actually get it going. And they, I don't know, the team really seems like hit fast on, yeah, we think he can do it. So, I don't know. It's just, yeah. But the, the lineup could use a little bit of tweaking because Turner hitting third is interesting. It's a very deep bench, though. As yeah. well, like Zim and Estrubal Cabrera and 
Michael Taylor. I mean, those are guys that, you know, you're not going to be upset when they're in the lineup at all. They're going to deliver quality veteran at-bats. Jake, who is your pick? Um, I had Atlanta as well. Um, I think for a lot of the same reasons uh, as you did. I love their rotation still. I think Fulte's going to have a big bounce-back year. Um, I love the bullpen with Melanson, Will Smith, and Shane Green back end. Um, it's hard to, you know, have any issues with Ron Acuna, Albies, Freeman, and Ozuna at the top of a lineup. Um, and I think also the fact that they have so much minor league talent that they can make additions to this team um, if they want to, which is an advantage they have over a lot of their division mates. Um, kind of it makes makes this a more attractive regular season team for me. Um, in a playoff series, I still think the Washington Nationals with that three-headed monster of Strauss, Schurz, and Corbin are just as good, if not better, uh, than Atlanta. But I think Atlanta is just going to be a little bit more set up for the regular season. All right, so then uh, I got one for you, Jake. <clears throat> Can you make the case for the New York Mets winning the division? Oh, daddy. I was hoping you'd ask me this. <laughs> okay, yes, I can. Um, I love the New York Mets. I, uh, you know, pick, you went all them in on to... them last year, like all over the place. Yeah, no, I, I was very big on this team. So they have so much talent. Uh, first of all, their lineup, Nimmo leading off, who's a great OBP guy, finally healthy this year. He's 27 years old. That's a great option at the top if he can remain healthy. Um, Jeff McNeil, who everybody likes now, um, is batting second. He's kind of a prototypical two-hole hitter as well. I really like him. Pete Alonzo is in your three-hole. Um, and then we have Robinson Cano and J.D. Davis, followed by Michael Conforto, uh, Wilson Ramos, and Ahmed Rosario. So the only bat in this lineup that I really don't like is Wilson Ramos, who he's a catcher, so whatever. I do still think that there's some juice in Robinson Cano's bat. and wouldn't be surprised if he had a bounce back year. So I love the lineup, but then the big thing for me is the starting rotation and the bullpen. Um, they, I, I think, I think they have the best pitching in the division. Personally, um, Jacob Degrom, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman—very good top three. But then I think it's their four and five that I like better than all the other teams in divisions four and fives. And Steven Matz and Rick Porcello. So they run out a quality guy every day. Edwin Diaz, I expect to have a bounce back. Seth Lugo is amazing. Jerry's Familia is now a middle reliever. Brad Brack. There are a lot of usable guys in their bullpen pretty much all the way down. So, yeah, I just really like the Mets. Um, so much so that as a preview, they are one of my wildcard teams. I really like the Mets. And something that the Mets have going for them that they haven't had <clears throat> in, I don't know, five-plus years that they've kind of had a contention-ish cycle going. They have depth in their starting pitching because if they have any injuries, they've got Michael Waka, who they can put in there as their fifth starter, who yeah. is reliable enough as a fifth starter, someone that can get through innings. And that's not something that they have had in quite some time. Absolutely. Yep. 
Yep. I just I just hope they don't mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. So for um, the well, go ahead. It's interesting no one cares about the Phillies. I don't like the Phillies. Actually that's a good point. Because the Phillies are really trying right now. So this is... Everybody's pegging this as a four-team race just the same way as uh, the the Central is, but I've literally seen nobody pick the Phillies. So, I mean, we've talked about the pitching that the other teams have. I just... I'm not a fan of what the Phillies have. No, it's Like, their bottom three starters, Arietta, I think, is washed. Eflin, I don't like. Vince Velasquez, I don't like. I like Nola and Wheeler enough. But I just don't think they that that rotation really has the legs to compete with the others in the division. That's and that's kind of where I'm off on them. Yeah, and their bullpen is really really bad too. Like it, the only reason why I I am really really down on the Phillies is because of their pitching, and they yeah. that was their problem last year. They dealt with so many injuries, especially in their bullpen, and just a lot of guys under. Uh, just didn't produce in their lineup. So, I mean, maybe that might get better, but their pitching is just atrocious. Yeah, I mean, if they could package some of their guys together, like a Bryson Stott or a, you know, I don't know, Moniak or, I don't know, who, a couple of their, their guys who are not Howard and Baum um, to get another quality starter and one of the other teams gets an injury, like maybe I could start to see it a little bit. Because the lineup, especially when McCutcheon comes back, is a really good lineup with Real Muto, Harper, Hoskins, Gregorius, Kingery, who had a little bit of a breakout last year. I can see it, but their bench is horrible, their bullpen's horrible, and their back three starters are horrible. Yep. Um, guys, before we move on to our wild cards, can I ask you guys about who you like better in the West, because we missed something that I find really interesting. Arizona and San Diego are both actively trying, even though, you know, they can't beat the Dodgers. Um, which team do you like more for this year as currently constructed? I like San Diego. I like the Diamondbacks. Ooh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Shelly, make the case. Uh, for the Diamondbacks. Okay. Um, so you have a one-two punch at the top of, top of the lineup. Uh, Marte and Marte. Um, and then you have... <laughs> That's so funny. Yep. They, they, they cornered the Marte market. Um, and then you got um, Escobar, which he, he's okay. And then you got David Peralta, Cole Calhoun, Christian Walker, Nick Ahmed, um, and Carson Kelly. Uh, that's, that's not too bad. And um, their bench is, uh, they have Jake Lamb, um, who kind of was a thing a couple years ago and was having a pretty good spring. So hopefully that is a thing. And their rotation is not too bad. They have Bumgarner, uh, Robbie Ray, Luke Weaver, Zach Allen, and uh, Mike Leake or Merrill Kelly. So that that's not too bad. Um, and I just, I just, honestly, I just like them better than San Diego because I just, while I loved their farm system for many years, um, they just, for some reason, cannot put it together. So I still don't believe it. So convince me, Keaton. Why am I wrong? Well, San Diego has one key contributor that the Arizona Diamondbacks do not have. 
and that's Gary Richards. <laughs> oh no! Uh, <laughs> real talk, though. Uh, so I really like the um, the. I mean, kind of like a lot of what San Diego did. I like the lineup. Um, Francisco Mejia, I'm hoping, finally gets unleashed. He had a really good second half of the year uh, last year, so I would like to see him finally after like what feels like a decade of us talking about him being one of the top catching prospects in the game to finally have his chance. Um, Machado, Tatis, I love the addition of Fam. I think um, they have a really good chance, probably like midseason, to have Gore and Trammell up playing, contributing for them. Um, Will Myers and Eric Hosmer are not great guys, but they are they fill a hole well enough. Uh, and I like the, I mean, they have one of the better bullpens here with Yates, Palmer, and Sipagan, which is really nice. But I actually, I really like the pitching. I mean, Chris Paddock, I'm a huge uh, kind of bought all in to him um, prior to last year, and that um, that worked out well. Lamette is kind of like Robbie Ray 2.0, um, so that's kind of fun that we're comparing <laughs> uh, pitching staffs that basically have the same kind of type of guy there. Richards, I love Garrett Richards being healthy for a year, um, or at least beginning the year healthy, uh, and I would love to see him get through a season if that's the case. Uh, as their third starter, that's outstanding. Uh, they picked up Zach Davies, who, I mean, as a fourth starter, is not bad. Uh, and their fifth starter is Joey Lucchese, who was their like opening day starter a year ago. I like him, too. Yeah. I think he's really underrated, particularly as like a fifth starter. They actually have a lot of depth in their pitching, which is something that they haven't had in quite some time. <clears throat> I mean, we talked about how good this team could be if they had made an addition like that. Like, we talked about uh, how well David Price would have fit into this rotation when we were talking about um, the potential deals for Wookie Betts and David Price with the Dodgers and San Diego both kind of pursuing pretty heavily. Um, just how much a guy like David Price would help. Um, and, um, you know, they, they didn't get it, but they still have incredibly solid pitching depth. And I'm just kind of buying into, I think um, Arizona has been a stable organization uh, and kind of firmly entrenched in, I mean, they just, the Dodgers are kind of head and shoulders above everybody else, but Arizona has been kind of near them for quite some time. And I just think San Diego's finally trending up enough. And I think that they'll get some contributions from Gore and Tramel at some point. Both of those guys will be there doing some stuff. Um, that I just, I kind of, I just, maybe it's more I'm buying into the optimism mm. and the hope of the Padres versus the stability of the Diamondbacks, but I think San Diego's going to have himself a year. Plus, I like the Brown Unis. If you replace um, Richards and Davies with, with Gore and Patino next year, uh, I like this team a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you got like five very, very legit starters. Um, Why you gotta replace Garrett Richards? He's not healthy. Never healthy. But I, I, I'll break the tie here. I, uh, I agree with Shelley. I think Arizona is better this year. Yeah. Dumb bet. Ooh, dumb oh. bet. Yeah, dumb bet. Yeah. Pack of baseball cards on whoever finishes uh, higher. Uh, sure. 
Yeah. Still owe me a pack of baseball cards, Keaton. I do still owe you a pack of baseball cards. I need, <laughs> I need to write that down. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Dumb bet. Arizona finishes higher than San Diego in 2020. I like it. Okay. Nice. All right. Wild cards. Uh, I bought into the AL East wholeheartedly, and I have the Mets and Washington as my wild cards. Uh, yep. I well, I had Atlanta in the in the Mets. So, yeah, we all think all three teams. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. they're all really good. Alrighty, and World Series predictions from the NL. I have the Dodgers making it to the World Series from the AL. I have Tampa Bay because I love that pitching rotation in a playoff series so freaking much. And I got the Dodgers over Tampa Bay in six. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I just think it's going to go uh, seven, but I think it's going to be the Dodgers over the Rays. It'll be a really good series. Yeah, it would. In a beautifully poetic haves and have not situation, I have the. Uh, the the plebeians overthrowing the bourgeoisie here. Um, the <laughs> Oakland A's over the L.A. Dodgers in seven in a wild one in the Bay Area. I would love it. I, that would be another fun series to watch. Don't you just feel like with the chaos of this season, something's going to happen and it's going to be weird? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and this is my weird thing. Oakland thrives in a weird environment. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's on to awards. Uh, AL MVP, uh, I went with Trout, because it doesn't seem like he has a lot of competition anymore. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. For Cy Young, I went with Cole, which just seems like low-hanging fruit, but I just have a hard time not picking him. Even though both of you did not pick him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shelly and I both like the same person, Mike Clevenger. Yeah, Clev dog. Uh, um, especially the shortened season. Like, he's going to be fine, right? So he's probably not going to miss any any starts now. Yeah, and he was just now starting to throw, like, right before um, everything kind of stopped. So, um, yeah, I think he's going to be ready to go as soon as the season starts. He's just gonna kill it. I traded for him in one of my long-term dynasty leagues like three weeks ago. Um, I traded Charlie Morton and Sixto Sanchez and like some other piece. Can't even remember, but um, for Mike Clevenger because the guy who was trying to compete was worried about Clevenger's health. Uh, it was very glorious. I'm very happy about that now. Yeah, that's a nice trade. Yes. <laughs> As I die over here. Uh, I promise I don't have COVID. I just have a lingering cough from the flu. Have you been tested? No. <laughs> well, I'll keep my fingers crossed then. Well, thank you. Uh, for AL, so I thought this was actually kind of interesting for all of the Rookie of the Years. None of us agreed on any of them, which is fun because there's <laughs> a lot of young talent. I went with Lou Bob 
because um, I'm just buying into the White Sox, and I think that uh, he's going to have himself a nice, nice fine season here in Chicago. Buying the hype. I do worry about the amount of breakers that he is going to see from the jump, which makes me think Lubov could have a rough season. He could. Yeah, that's what I'm scared of. Uh, kind of like how pitchers, it seemed like pitchers were like throwing uh, uh, Vlad Jr., like a lot of junk and stuff um, uh, last year. Um, I think they're going to do the same with uh, with Robert because everyone knows who he is and pitchers will be like, oh, you're not, I'm not, I can't throw like a fastball like past you. I have to like really mix it up here. And I think that that's really going to kind of, uh, he's going to struggle, I think, for a little bit. Um, Baseball America did a really interesting piece on minor league top 100 prospects and their, uh, where they usually hit in the lineup in terms of not like lineup position, but uh, how they are with different counts. And Lou Bob was one of the most frequently behind in the count players in the minor leagues last year and still succeeded despite being 0-1, 0-2, you know, counts like that, unfavorable counts to the hitter many times. And I think that if he maintains that habit, which there's no reason to make me think he wouldn't, that major league pitchers are going to eat him alive for his first little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go read that art, but I must have missed that. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it and I'll send it to you. Sweet. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I just think that his talent is will just kind of overcome. I mean, it'll be like a rough transition, first month or so. But I just think he'll He'll, he'll figure it out. I think he's good enough to figure it out. And he'll have like a torrid second half. If that's what he's needed. I'm just, I'm excited to see him play. So I'm buying into it. Word. Nice. <clears throat> Shelly, who's your pick? Um, so I kind of went, uh, went off the uh, reservation, I guess, per se. Um, I went with Jared Kalinick. Um, uh, maybe with like the shortened season, this was uh, not a wise pick, um, but I think I think he's actually going to make the majors this year. Um, I think that uh, he doesn't really have anyone blocking him um, too too much, really, in, in the outfield. And um, Seattle seems to be <coughs> definitely moving their guys up at a pretty quick pace, um, and I just I mean. If he's killing it, I mean, what's let's get some Mariners fans in the stands and let's go for it and do like how Alvarez kind of came up like halfway through and still ended up winning the Rookie of the Year. So yeah, Jared Kalinick, it's kind of uh, probably not going to happen, but I hope it does. It's bold. I like it. Yeah. I went decidedly less bold. Um, <laughs> But I went with Jesus Lazardo, the 22-year-old lefty, uh, who is going to be a stalwart in the World Series champion A's uh, starting pitching lineup and uh, starting pitching rotation, I should say. Um, man, I did not appreciate Lazardo 
as much as I should. I admit to being lower on him than I should have been. And I've been watching a lot more Lazardo and oh boy, the fastball changeup combo mixed in with just a filthy slider in command that is like that of a veteran. Uh, oh my, it is just something. He's really, really fun to watch. Like significantly more fun than I expected him to be. Yeah, this that A's rotation is just really going to be something else. That's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, and I think that the shortened season is really going to help them because a lot of their, you know, Puck and Lozardo were probably going to be facing some paddock level manipulation with the innings. And if it's only like, if they miss two months of the season because of this uh, stuff, um, that really helps them. Um, from an inning standpoint, they could just let him go. So I'm glad you mentioned Paddock, Shelley. Um, I feel like right now they have very similar traits in terms of being really uh, advanced in command at a very young age. But I think if I was in a dynasty league, I would rather have Lazardo than Paddock because his third pitch is so established right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't say that you're wrong about that. The only thing that does bother me about Lozano is some of the injury stuff, like with the shoulder and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I I would probably do it too because I just don't trust Paddock enough to get that third pitch. I don't yeah. think that is an outrageous statement, but I do like Paddock a lot more than you do. For what yeah, it's worth, close. after talking about Paddock with you guys on our SP episode, I did move him up significantly in my rankings for redraft. So. I'll take it as a win. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. On to the NL. Uh, my pick for MVP was Mookie Betts because I like to feel pain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I went, I went chalk with my, I guess maybe chalk, I don't know, uh, with my, um, MVPs. I went with, uh, Acuna Jr. because he's fun, so. He's so good. Yeah. I went with the guy who should have won it last year, Christian Yellick. Uh, because I think Yellick had a better season than Bellinger, even with his knee blowing up. Yeah, I think so too. I think... I don't know. I don't. It's just that maybe I look at MVP a, a tad bit different. It's just I think that Yelich was a whole lot more valuable to his team than Bellinger was. And it, I don't. I don't know. Like whenever I'd watch Dodgers games versus Brewers games, Yelich was definitely the guy. You know, the guy, and he was doing stuff versus Bellinger. I mean, he was doing stuff too. Don't get me wrong, but it just seemed like there was other guys that kind of muddied the waters whenever I would watch him. We could figure this out by WPA, ah. whose leverage index was better. Christian Yellick led baseball in WPA slash leverage index last year with a 7.01, which was higher than Mike Trout, who was second, Cody Bellinger, who was third, Bregman, who was fourth, and Alonzo, who was fifth. So it was not... Uh, fake metric. And in the clutch metric, 
he was significantly better than Cody Bellinger. He was a .49, and Cody Bellinger was a negative .73. So, yes, (laughs) he was more clutch, decidedly. NL MVP is actually going to be quite a race to follow. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, all three of the the guys we mentioned could definitely be there. Plus, we didn't, none of us picked Bellinger, who could definitely be there. Sure. Um, Soto. Alonzo, maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Alonzo, Soto. Soto. I mean, NL is packed. Is there anyone who you'd rather see taking at bat than Juan Soto? Like, no. to just watch any at-bat? Yeah, like, any given at-bat. Juan Soto, right? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, he's so much fun. He's the best. Just based off, like, entertainment and in the outcome. Count. Yeah. And he just gets that wide, like, mean, like, jaguar, like, prowling stance. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's like, no, no, you're not beating me. It doesn't matter what you throw my way. I'm either going to lay off it or I'm going to muscle it into the outfield. Yep. So, Such a dude. Yeah. Did you see um, the video in like November circulating the internet of kids in the different Dominican academies everywhere just like emulating his stances? Yeah, I did uh, see that. <laughs> that warmed my heart. Yeah. It's great. Baseball's great. For Cy Young, um, I have I've been just talking Jack Flaherty up all off season, and so he's going to be my pick. He was actually my number two starting pitcher in our pitching ranks behind Degrom, and I just I love everything about Jack Flaherty so much, and I think that if he has a an entire season like he did his second half last year, I think he runs away with it. Can I ask you a question, either of you, about Jack? Um, why were people down on him a little bit compared to the other aces? Because when I was putting together my personal rankings for just the 2020 season, I couldn't find anything wrong with Jack Flaherty, but I saw on a bunch of people's lists him even outside of the top 10 in terms of starting pitchers. And I didn't That's just outrageous. Um, well, I am definitely not one to answer that question since he was my number two starting pitcher. I don't know how people could be down on him. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with first half, second half splits. Like maybe people are just trying to brace for that he's not going to be what he was showing in the second half. So they're like, oh, we ha- have to downgrade him a bit because he's going to you know, regress just a bit. I'm thinking that's what it is. Yeah. It's got to be it. I mean, I don't... The second half was so good. It really was. I mean, so... This 2018 was incredibly good, too. He threw 151 innings and had 182 strikeouts. And he did struggle in the first half, but, I mean, he corrected it. And so, to me, like, that, that was a sophomore slump was just the first half and he corrected it so much so that his era was um almost a full run lower in 2019 than it was 2018 uh it was just a lot lower or half a run i'm bad at math still a lot lower it was 2.75 
uh, and he had 230 strikeouts. So, I mean, it doesn't – whatever his air quotes struggles were in the first half, I just – I'm not buying it. And he obviously showed the ability to correct it. So, I'm just – kind of expect him to have a full season like he had in the second half, and it's just – he's going to be – I just hope we get as many possible, which I guess would be two – starts that are uh Flaherty versus Bueller. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah. I think we had one last year and that was quite a game to watch. I want to see as many as possible. That's my guy. That's my pick. Going with Flaherty. A little Love bit off, a little bit off the board, I guess. Uh based off of the other names that are out there. But uh that's my pick. Yeah, well, I went with another NL Central pitcher. I went uh, Luis Castillo. Um, I I just I just love watching him pitch, and that changeup is just unbelievable and unhittable and just straight up amazing. And I just I'm just buying in on the Reds this year, and I think Castillo's just going to have a great year, and he's just going to ride that to uh, a Cy Young. The only downside, the only thing that I am a tad bit scared of is he does throw the change up a lot because it's legit nasty. And he throws it a lot out of the zone. So Mm. if guys start to lay off that, that could be quite uh, scary uh, because the walks are just going to go up and up and up and just not good. So that's, that is something that I am concerned about, but I still think that he's going to win the Cy Young. I love that pick, by the way. I, I really want him to get on the phone with Pedro, and Pedro to be like, bro, throw that shit in the zone. No one can touch it. Because Pedro used to throw that shit in the zone and no one would touch it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not Pedro level change, but it is it is up there. Yeah, it's, it's really, really Uh, I went with Jacob deGrom, who is the two-time defending Cy Young champion in the National League. Um, I'm looking for Jacob deGrom to break the recent trend of two-time winners, uh, back-to-back winners, not being able to uh, get a third. So Tim Lincecum in 08 and 09 had two in a row. Uh, Clayton Kershaw in 2013-2014, two in a row. 2016-2017, Max Scherzer. And then 2018-2019, Jacob deGrom. Um, I think he's going to break through, win his third in a row, and then I think he's going to do fourth in a row, which is going to tie him with Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox as the only two to have four in a row. And then uh, I owe you a bottle of Bombay Sapphire. That is true. You will at that point. At that point. I mean, if he gets, if he wins a, a, his third in a row, I think we we don't need to play out the third year of our bet. We can just call it after that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, to just remind the <laughs> listeners, uh, Keaton and I bet before last year that Blake Snell's next three years would be better uh, from a, I think, what we decide, war perspective than yep. Jacob deGrom. Um, and so far, that's working <clears throat> significantly worse for Keaton than it is for me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I probably could just give it to you now. I don't but you know, at least play out one more season. We'll boy. get more than halfway through the bet before we call it. Yeah, I mean, he's not some slapdick pitcher. 
It's true. <laughs> uh, for Rookie of the Year, I went with Mackenzie Gore, San Diego. Um, as I outlined before, buying into what San Diego's cooking. Uh, and I think at some point, relatively soon, he'll be up and just striking out a whole buttload of folks. So I like it. I'm going Gore. Shelly's pick is a shock. <laughs> well, I wanted to uh, pick the guy that, that Jake did, but then I'm like, well, I want to talk about uh, to talk about my boy Carter. Uh, <laughs> I just he's gonna. I think he's gonna play every day, and that's the kind of reason why I went with him over at Lux because with the amount of depth that the Dodgers do have, maybe Lux doesn't play every day, and I think Carter is. And he is just going to be that steady Eddie guy, and he is just going to—he's just going to be great, and he's going to win the Rookie of the Year. I hope you're right, Shelley. I really like Carter, and I think he's been getting kind of a bad rap recently because he has struggled at times when he's come up. But the talent is really, really there. It really is. Uh, I had Gavin Lux. Um, I know the Dodgers are playing with like whether or not he's going to be the everyday starting second baseman. But, like, really, guys, it's a top five prospect in all of baseball unanimously. Um, the hit tool here is insane. The power is insane. He's a really good player. Fangrass threw a 70 on him. If this guy isn't the everyday second baseman on a team that should win well over 100 games, they're doing something wrong. I think, ultimately, they're going to give Gavin Lux and Dustin May the treatment that they don't give most of their prospects which is just like hey this is your job okay you're you're that good this is your job and if they if he does that i think that he will blow his projections out of the water because he's so good at hitting already at a very young age Alrighty, that is it that is our season preview all right welcome back we hope you enjoyed that segment on uh, what we think is going to happen for league predictions. And now we are going to get into our listener questions. So our first question comes from Jake Caustic, who's at Over the Monster as well. He writes for our site. He says, who wins in a fight, John Cena or the Invisible Man? Uh, Keaton, since I didn't understand this question, I defer <laughs> to you. Yeah, so I understood it because my friend's been trying to get me into wrestling for quite a while. Um, and John Cena's whole thing is... Like our, I don't know if it's a finishing move or whatever it is, but he has this thing where you can't see him. Hmm. And the crowd all gets into it, and it's a big thing. <clears throat> so, John Cena, who we can't see, or the Invisible Man, who is, you know, as the name suggests, invisible. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> John Cena's quite a large man. I, I assume he's very easy to see. He is, yeah. Yeah, so I that don't would know be that. my guess too, because I'm not sure you'd be able to tell if the Invisible Man was pinned or not. Right? Yeah, there's so many things about this that don't make any sense to me. <laughs> um, I just I, I feel like John Cena is the most visible man. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I am completely ignorant to wrestling, so we will move on. Uh, Reynaldo Orio uh, has two questions for us. First one says, I was pro shutting down 
sale this year uh, and having him go under the knife before the coronavirus, now with the shortened season, uh, being a mortal lock, I think is what he means, not a moral lock, uh, it just seems logical. Hashtag wasted year. Um, that's one way to think about it. I still think it's ultimately just going to come up to how he feels when he starts throwing again. I would expect that if he starts throwing again and still has pain, that he's just going to do it. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. His second question was also, do you shop Bogarts? The return could be quite high. No. My God, no. Please. No. Yes, the return would be high, but Bogarts is the de facto leader on this team. He's signed to a super reasonable contract. He's one of the best players in baseball. You definitely do not shop Bogarts under any circumstances. That does not help this team in the future or the short term. Well, I mean, his contribution to the team, you're right, but we've already learned that being one of the best players in baseball does not mean anything. Well, he's, he wasn't a best player in baseball not signed up to a contract. He's under control for years. Mookie had signed a contract. It's a one-year contract, but that was a yeah. contract. It's not six years. <laughs> but no, the answer is no, you don't. Yeah. No way. Bogart's endeavors are staying. Everyone yeah. else's game. Uh, Christian Vasquez Fan Club says, um, well, <laughs> he want, says a bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, Keaton, maybe you can translate. I believe the question is, how do you feel about Ken Burns getting his baseball docuseries put online for free to make up for no baseball? I mean, I feel great about it. So this was something that I actually did with uh, my mom and dad before uh, every season. We'd get to, like, February, and we would start watching an inning a night as we ramped up to the baseball season. So I've seen the documentary through, like, I don't know, like five or six times. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. I think everybody should watch it. It is top-notch. Um, it's long. It's something like 20 hours. Um, so that's definitely not going to bridge the gap until this stuff gets going again. But if you haven't seen his uh, baseball documentary... Would absolutely get to it. Yeah, I haven't watched it. Um, I've tried to. Um, You're a history guy. I know it's not. It's not that I uh, don't want to watch it, and I think it's just like it's a big time commitment. And also, when I would start watching it, it would usually be late at night, and I would fall asleep because Ken Burns's voice is too soothing. Um, and I would just go to bed. So I need to like watch it when I first wake up in the morning, I think. So maybe during my isolation, I can watch it. The, uh, I forget what his name was, but the Red Sox had a pitcher in like the 19 aughts. I can't remember what his name was now, but he was really good, but was like, had massive ADD and would get distracted. And so opposing fans would bring puppies to the stadium behind home plate and hold them up when he was pitching to distract him. <laughs> and there was even one time where a fire truck went by the stadium and <coughs> ran out of the stadium after the fire truck. That's amazing. 
great stuff in that documentary. Yeah. That sounds awesome. I, I'm going to try and watch that too. And it is really cool that Ken Burns suggested PBS do that. Burns is a great American. He is. Um, Zach, with sporting withdrawal this time, says, Do either of you have memories from a previous sports stoppage, like the 1994 baseball strike? Um, I don't have memories of that because I was four years old. So I really wasn't sure what was going on. But I do have memories from NHL's lost season in 05 and half a season in, I think, 2013. Yeah. And that was a bummer. Yeah. Uh, I um, I was a little bummed out about the lost NHL season, too. I don't remember much of anything from the 94 strike because I was seven um, at the time and, like, I'd gone to baseball games with my dad, but not really, you know, kind of too young to to follow it every day. I, I remember being, like, really stoked on the Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. So that's mostly what my concern was. If there had been a Ninja Turtles strike, um, that would have really, really thrown me over the top. I mean, I wouldn't have stood for that. I have a, a really deep scar above my left eye. And I believe it was 1994 that I gave myself that scar. Uh, I slipped getting out of the tub and nailed my head on the corner of our porcelain sink. Oof. I needed like eight stitches. Oof. So I think that's what I was doing in 94. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, <clears throat> Zach, I hope we don't um, have another <laughs> one of these ever again because it's not fun. Yeah, not I mean, I guess another, I don't know if it's technically a stoppage or not, but the replacement refs in the NHL, or NFL, and that was a disaster. Yeah, that was, that was a disaster. <laughs> I forgot all about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that was kind of, not really a stoppage, but it was sort of a scandal in the leagues was the uh, Tim Donahue. NBA scandal. Oh, yeah. That was pretty weird. That was weird. Yeah. All right. Well, we were all worried about minor leagues going away and not stopping, or in, in stopping, but now we don't have actual real baseball. So we've got bigger problems now. We and sure you know, do. a pandemic. So baseball's going to have to wait. But you don't have to wait for our podcast, so make sure you subscribe to our show if you liked it. We are going to stick with you throughout the coronavirus era. We don't know what we're going to talk about, um, but inevitably we will talk about something. It could this could end up being a uh, a mixed media um, you know platform for a while for us, where we talk about all of our distractions uh, during this time period. So we'll have to see. However. Um, we do wish you and your family's safety during this time period. Make sure you're following the rules and regulations and uh, not going out when you don't have to. And uh, we hope that you all fare well. Yes, please, please take this seriously. Yes. So uh, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also rate and review us. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at Dev Jake. And you can follow the Over the Monster podcast at, at Over the Monster. And we'll be with you next week. Thank you very much. Bye.